Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be here with you today. Excited for you guys to hear today's episode as we finally finish Annie Summer 2020 with our Q&A episode with Suzanne Stabile. So it makes sense. The the music in the background is from our good buddy, Ryan O'Neill, who is also known as Sleeping at Last. And this is the Enneagram 7 song. Make sure you listen to the whole series. It's really, really extraordinary. And speaking of Ennea Summer 2020, we are having a koozie blowout sale. Listen, we've got a couple of our Ennea Summer koozies left, and they are $4 each while supplies last. And once they're gone, they're gone. And so we're running low on a couple of the numbers already. So you want to scoot over to shopanniefdowns.com. And the koozies will be there until they run out for $4 each. So make sure you hop over and grab you a handful of those to take you through the fall. Y'all know and love Suzanne Stabile. She was actually on Innia Summer 2019 with us as our intro episode. And then I gave her a ring and said, hey, Suzanne, please come back and answer some of these questions that our friends that are listening have submitted. So as you may have heard a couple of the final episodes of Innia Summer 2020, we gave you a link to go fill out a survey or to ask us questions for this. So all these questions in this show are ones that you guys have submitted about the Enneagram. We didn't get through all of them, but we got through all the main topics that were brought up in the questions. We scrolled through all hundreds of them and kind of put them together in groups and we hit all the groups. Suzanne has a couple of books already out, The Road Back to You and The Path Between Us. Make sure you grab those if you haven't yet, if you want to continue your Enneagram learning. But for now, here's Suzanne Stabile answering your questions about Enneagram and Ennea Summer 2020. Okay, Suzanne Stabile, are you ready to go? This is hard. Um, this is a Q&A. I'm so ready, and you know it's my favorite way to teach, so I'm just going to kick back. Is it really? Oh, yeah. I'd rather teach answering questions than any other way. Oh, that makes me happy. Now, first, I want to remind people you are the author of The Path Between Us, co-author of The Road Back to You, and last year you were on our intro episode for 2019, Any Summer. Yes, and, and loved it. And people have been begging me to follow up with you about Enneagram books written by numbers, like books written by ones, books written by twos, and that's on your website. It is, and we're constantly updating that when we run into somebody perfect uh, new. So um, if I can remember the name of the book that I just read, uh, uh, this is for you, Annie. I'm ready. Uh, Patrice Gopo. Okay. She's a seven on the Enneagram, and she's written a book, All the Colors We Shall See. Okay. Is it a novel? Oh, no. It's okay. stories, but it is oh. like when I just said it to you, mm-hmm. I had chill bumps. I love this book so much. Yeah. Okay. I'll one. order it. You know, I've been, I was going to ask you for this anyway, but I turned 40 last month. And I've been asking, I'm asking 40 people to tell me one book to add to my bookshelf. So I was going to ask you anyway, Suzanne. So I'm going to buy that one and put your name in it as the one you recommend. Okay. Can I give you two more? Yes, of course. I'm an overgiver. You know I love that. You are an overgiver. <laughs> it's very sweet of you all the time. <laughs> uh, there's a wonderful book by Miriam Greenspan. And the title is Healing Through the Dark Emotions. Oh, gosh, I don't want to read that. <laughs> yes, you do. I know, do I know, I know. It, and you want to read it because it's so relevant mm-hmm. and helpful and hopeful. Yeah, so do okay. that. But the other one is, here's another seven book for you. Read Confessions by Matthew Fox. Okay. Matthew Fox was a Dominican priest, and he and my husband Joe left the priesthood by invitation because they were a little on the edge <laughs> at about the same time okay. uh, with around a hundred other priests. Oh, wow. Okay. And he's had quite a journey, but he's a seven on the Enneagram and he, it's just a beautiful book. You'll love it. Okay. I'm going to get all three. Thank you very much. Okay. You betcha. Um, you're so kind. Okay. So let's jump in. All these questions have come in from people who listened to any summer 2020 and filled out the survey and gave us some questions. So we'll just start buzzing through those. Okay. The first one, can you identify as a different number at different stages in life? For example, as a child and as an adult, can you identify as different numbers in different areas of life? You can identify, but you'd be wrong. (laughs) 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 The answer is sure you can. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) 
<laughs> you, you go, but you're the same number all of your life and it's well honed by the time you're five. Mm-hmm. However, you know, my teaching is that at any given moment, you can be in healthy, average, unhealthy space or in excess in your number. Mm-hmm. And some people are in pathology in their numbers. And trauma causes you to be have to behave more from a place of excess in your numbers. So you, you have to do a little bit more work mm-hmm. over a period of time while you're growing up to kind of get to level off and get to some average space. Well, and we all do the same things. So it's really easy to think that you're some other number because of the way you behave, mm-hmm. but your Enneagram number is not determined by behavior. It's determined by motivation. Mm-hmm. So lots of people who are ones on the Enneagram wonder if they're ones because they were parented by a one. Mm-hmm. Lots of children who have who lose a grandparent that they were close to in childhood or whose best friend moves away. Uh, th- events like that, parents get a divorce. They go through some uh, often unexpressed and unexplained melancholy. Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes them wonder, looking back, if they uh, were a different number. But the answer is no. No. And but but even as you're saying that, I'm kind of going, oh, I can see how people get to that of going. When I was a kid, I bet I was this, but now I'm this. Yeah, you know, there's a woman who's been doing anagram work for a long time since the mid '70s, and she's pretty deep. Um, like I, I, you know, your average interest anagram person probably wouldn't enjoy her much. Her name is Sandra Maitre. Mm -hmm. And she has a theory that in childhood, you actually lived out of the number that you go to in security. Oh, okay. So as a seven, I lived more out of my five out of five behaviors. Yeah. So you Mm. would have been uh, a little, uh, a little more laid back, Mm -hmm. a little more uh, of an observer. Mm hmm before you started participating. Right. I'm not sure. I don't, I I don't know that it fits everybody. I didn't find that it fit me very well, but I was adopted, you know, and that's a thing. Right. So, um, anyway, it's, it's something to look at. I, she, she's done a, an, a lot of really good work. So it certainly shouldn't be dismissed. Okay, good. Yeah. We'll look her up. Okay. So here's another question. How, and this is good for us to do at the top for anybody who didn't listen to any of summer 19 or any of summer 2020, where the question is, how does the Enneagram compare to other personality tests? Is it more accurate, more spiritual? Is it just the same? What would you say to that question? Well, you know, the more you can learn about yourself, the better. So I'm all about all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And this one's the best. So that's how it compares. The Enneagram's best. (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's why. You know, I'm an ENFJ. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've known that since I was 18. Okay. I I know what those words mean, and I know what they mean in the context of Myers-Briggs. Right. And I'm not sure what to do with that. And I know that there are ways I could learn from people who are experts. I'm not, I don't know if you're familiar with Brian McLaren and his Mm -hmm. work, but his wife, Grace, is a Myers-Briggs expert. Oh, okay. So she's kind of ready to go toe-to-toe any day I want to. Sure. With, yeah, but there's this. So, right. but But here's what I would say. The Enneagram explains to me what I look like when things in my life are lined up right and I'm healthy. Hmm. And it explains to me how needy and uh, schmoozy I can be when I'm average or not healthy. And then the the Enneagram is the only thing I know that identifies your weakness and tells you how to make it better at the same time. Sure. (laughs) And I think that is what makes it more spiritual because I, I, I know God better because I know myself better. Mm. And you can stick with the Enneagram. You know, I'm, I've been at it for a long time and I'm still doing new work. 
And I think it's because the Enneagram has layer after layer after layer of application that I don't find other systems offer. Mm. Yeah, which I agree is with not that. to negate any of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, learning about your motivations was such a game changer for me. Like, because yeah. our behaviors, I say this a lot to friends when we're talking about it around a table, we'll be like, we could all do the same thing when they bring the food to the table, but we're doing it for six different reasons or nine different reasons or three right. different reasons, whoever's sitting around the table. And so the motivations is such a, a healing part of the Enneagram to me. Me too. And I think another really big piece is that I don't think we know our inner selves by what we get right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's good. Uh, but I do think we know our inner terrain by what we get wrong. And I would hate to be in a system where I knew that, but I didn't know mm -hmm. what to do about it. Mm -hmm. And the Enneagram teaches you what to do about it if you want to do the work. Yes. And what does that work look like? Uh, lots of self-observation, uh, lots of awareness, reading uh, people who know what they're talking about, and there mm -hmm. are lots of them. Uh, and there are lots of people who don't have any idea what they're talking about. They're writing Enneagram books and they, they don't know. Yeah. What do you do and when you see that? Does that frustrate you? Oh, uh, you know, um, I, I think everything has two sides sure. and, uh, the two sides to shortcut Enneagram are that if it, if it, um, intrigues you enough that you do some good deep anagram work that's great mm -hmm. and if it's just a shortcut it still has the potential to teach you that your way of seeing the world isn't the only way mm -hmm. and that could teach you to be more compassionate if you desire that and if you allow for that mm -hmm. that was very nice answer. <laughs> You're very good hey, at this. How can you tell when I'm trying to be nice? <laughs> I just am like, man, this is what she's answering as a wise person, not as an Annie. Not as I'd be like, you want me to tell you how I feel? I will tell you how I feel. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not 70 yet. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay, I like this question. As we grow and mature, should our numbers be less obvious? Uh, no, mm -hmm. but average are excess in your number won't show itself. Excess won't show itself mm -hmm. much as you grow and mature. And if you can mature enough to be mindful so that you can stop yourself. So let, here's an example, you know, as a two, I want to help everybody and then I want them to love me. Mm -hmm. So the questions I ask myself as I'm moving toward other people are, uh, why am I moving toward this other person? Hmm. and if I find a way to give something to them what if anything do I expect to get in return hmm. and does the other person want my help oh so you've just learned to ask questions to yourself in your behaviors that probably are a sign of maturity versus being yeah. less of a two exactly that that keeps me in mature space. So sometimes I start towards somebody, and by the time I ask my three questions, I just turn. Mm. <laughs> I just turn around, and go a different direction. Yeah, because you know the big question of my life personally is what is mine to do. Yeah, and uh, I I think we have to keep asking questions in order for any behavior pattern not to just be habitual and mechanical. Right, right. Okay, I like that because I want to be a seven till I'm 95 years old. I don't want to be a less sure. seven. I just want to be a healthy seven. And I think we all want people to recognize that we have a certain style about us that represents a personality type that adds a piece to the world that without us isn't going to be there. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's sweet. Yeah. That's sweet. And like that makes me spend, I'm having to balance Suzanne how I normally do shows where I'm like, yeah, let's keep talking about that to like, we have a list of questions. <laughs> so I'm All having right. to be un-Annie about this and be like, and the next question or a version, I, otherwise you and I will just spin off and I'll keep wanting to talk to you about what I care about. 
Oh, I like this one. Why? This is not for me, obviously. Why do I typically default to having a negative view about being a five? What can I do to help see being a five in a more positive light? Is that a unique thing for five, Suzanne, or can everybody connect with that? Well, it's both. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody can connect with it, but fives have a hard time being comfortable in the world. Mm-hmm. They are so concerned about being seen and or experienced as being incompetent or incapable. And so that's silo that and fives have, you know, nines have the least energy of all the numbers. Eights have the most, Mm. but fives have a measured amount of energy. I didn't realize nines had the least amount of energy. Yeah, they do because they're boundaried internally and externally. Wow. And they're, they're maintaining those boundaries all the time. So they're trying to keep in anything that would cause conflict. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're trying to keep out anything that would steal their peace. Okay. Okay. And it's exhausting. Yes, gracious. But for fives, they wake up with the same amount of energy every morning. Mm-hmm. And every... Measured. Yes. And saying. every phone call, every handshake, every task, uh, every relationship move requires part of that energy. And all of this happens intuitively, but they have to protect that because they feel much too vulnerable mm-hmm. if they run out of energy and they're not at home base. So they're trying to be comfortable in the world and they are um, intuitively trying to manage the energy that they have. And they... Um, Older fives tell me that they wish they had understood themselves better at a younger age, which the Enneagram helps them to do, because they say they would have risked a little more. Oh, wow. Man, I hope our young fives hear that, that older fives say they wish they would have risked a little bit more. Yeah. And I think... um, you know, I believe in an all-loving, all-benevolent, all-forgiving God. Mm-hmm. And I think all nine expressions of humanity that we know as defined by the Enneagram have a gift to offer that um, would come with lots of grace. Mm-hmm. And I think fives, if they can trust a little more, will find out that they can stretch themselves a little more. It's very mm-hmm. difficult for fives to not live with a scarcity mentality. Yeah. And scarcity mentality prevents by its very nature, abundant understanding, an an understanding of abundance everywhere, even if things get a little tricky. Mm. So it would seem right that fives would find it hard to be a five. Yes. And in terms of relationship, in terms of, um, you know, one of the things I say is it is it is more courageous for a five to show up for an intimate relationship. Now that could I'm not just talking about sex. That could mm-hmm. be friendship in anything where there's an exchange of vulnerability and confidentiality. Sure, it costs a five everything to show up for that. Wow. And sometimes people take it for granted mm-hmm. when they do. Sometimes people don't take care of the information they get, you know, so it's tricky. It's tricky. So how do we help fives? What's, what's your advice to them and how to see themselves in a more positive light? And that would be true for any Enneagram number. How do we come to terms with who, which number we identify as? Well, you know, I think we have to teach people who we are. Mm. So I think fives have to say uh, to people that they care about, you know, I'm really working on trying to be a little bit vulnerable about some of my thoughts or feelings. And I, I, I just need you to know it's really hard for me. And so here's the thing I would say to a five to share with other people. When I share a feeling with you, don't share one back with me. Oh, wow. Because then I have these two things I have to carry, my feeling <laughs> and your feeling. Yeah. Right. So don't 
don't do that kind of reciprocal exchange. And I think we all have to learn not to, uh, not to think we know what it's like to be any of the other numbers to the point that we can tease about it or make big statements about it. Like mm-hmm. people have said to fives, I bet you love this. This oh, yeah. being, well, they don't love it. Right. They don't love it. They would like to have the routine and the rhythm of their life back. Just mm-hmm. like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I can be guilty of that, Suzanne, to any number of going, I bet you love this. Sure. Oh, I bet you're not sure. going to like this because you're, you know, yeah. if I'm with a nine, I'll go, oh, I bet you're not going to like, I'm about to make you decide where we're eating. <laughs> well, you know, I didn't come up with these answers over these years by not making the mistake first. Sure. Everybody does that. I, You know, we just have to be nice to ourselves. We I, I think the Enneagram is very compelling. And I think at, at in our truest moments, what we're always trying to do is make connections. Mm-hmm. And I think when we say, I bet you don't want to decide where we're going to dinner since you're a nine. We're just trying to make a connection. We're not. Right. You know, there's not a put down in that. Right. right. We're just trying to show that we know each other. That's right. Yeah. And we want to know more. Yeah. 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 Okay, so this is a, uh, we had a lot of questions around a couple of different themes. And one of the themes which made me really happy, because it's what I think about a lot too, is health and unhealth. And how do we identify ourselves in health versus unhealth? How do we know if we're healthy in our number? So will you, will you talk about that? How do we know if we're healthy in our number? And what are some practices that can help us grow in health in the number we identify as? Uh, to know if you're healthy in your number if you've done some Enneagram work, I would recommend that you read The Wisdom of the Enneagram by Rizzo and Hudson. Mm-hmm. In each uh, chapter on each of the nine numbers, they have a, a kind of list of healthy and average and unhealthy. And, uh, it's pretty extreme. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and unless you're a clinician or a therapist, you for sure should not use it on other people. Right. The Road Back to You has um, a little bit of work on if you're healthy, average, and unhealthy. The Path Between Us uh, has the same. And uh, I think uh, my overarching way of talking about that would be to say this. Every single part of Enneagram work is about balance. Mm. And uh, it, 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 there are lots of threes, and you just have to balance all of the threes. So there are uh, three triads, and the three triads are determined by which is dominant of the three centers of intelligence, thinking or feeling or doing. Mm-hmm. And so you're in the thinking dominant triad, mm-hmm. and I'm in the feeling dominant triad. And interestingly enough, you have based on stance work, you have repressed feeling and I have repressed thinking. And it doesn't mean I don't think and it doesn't mean I'm not smart and it doesn't mean that you don't have any feelings. Right. But it does mean that if you divided thinking and feeling and doing into a three-layer cake, uh, the layers are not even for anybody. Oh, that's a great way to picture it. So your dominant one is the bottom one that's the largest. Yeah. And what you Got need it. to do is you need to learn to use thinking for what it's intended and feeling the same way and doing the same way. And if you're not balanced in those three, and again, if anybody who says they're balanced needs to go back and start over. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who sorted it out, they're not yeah. right. <laughs> right. But constant work. Constant Enneagram work is managing your dominant center and trying to bring up your repressed center. So let me tell you what those are, and then people can go do work with that. Dominant center for twos, threes, and fours is feeling. Five, six, seven is thinking. Eight, nine, one is doing. But repressed center, which can be very problematic if you don't go get it. Mm -hmm. It's not coming on its own. You got to go get it. The repressed center for uh, threes and sevens and eights is feeling. 
for ones, twos, and sixes is thinking, and for fours, fives, and nines is doing. And it doesn't mean that you don't feel, think, or do. So I'm going to run through the nine numbers real quick if you want me to. Yes, of course. Okay. So ones, I'm, I'm not saying that you don't think. Here's what I am saying. You count inner conversations with your inner critic as thinking. And that's not thinking. And you have to manage that. You, you got to do better than that. So you have to bring up productive thinking because if you don't, then doing is dominant for you and feeling supports doing and you just, you just do and do and feel good about what you do. So you got to work on bringing up productive thinking. Twos are feeling dominant and they support feeling with doing. And it, it'll get you a long way. Mm-hmm. You, you can feel and do your way a long way down the road. But thinking is repressed. And for twos, it's not that they don't think at all. It's that 80 to 85% of their thinking is about relationships. Oh, wow. And there are other things happening. Shocking, though it is. <laughs> there are. Threes are the, uh, one of the three core numbers on the Enneagram. And they are feeling dominant and feeling depressed. One of the three corner, is that what you said? Core. Core, sorry. The three core numbers. So if you look at the inner triangle of the Enneagram, Mm -hmm. then you have a three and a six and a nine. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Right? So those are the core numbers. Got it. Okay. So threes are feeling dominant, but they're also feeling repressed. And that means that they take in information from the environment with feelings but they don't use feelings to make sense of what they've taken in. They go oh, back to okay. thinking and doing. Okay. Fours are feeling dominant, but doing repressed. And that leaves them in a world of feelings and thinking about their feelings and feeling some more. Hmm. But it doesn't mean they don't do anything. But what fours do is, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, is they chase shiny things. They do the things they like to do that have texture and feeling and music and uh, depth and that don't appear to be everyday things or shallow things. Okay. Fives are doing repressed also, and they are uh, thinking dominant. So they think a lot. They have many ideas and they have feeling to support thinking. So they have feelings about what they think. So if you disagree with the five, it hurts their feelings Mm. because that's what they've got. Right. And they kind of put their hands on their hips and say, oh, I do things all the time. But the reality is fives spend far more time preparing to do than doing. Like they research and Mm -hmm. they plan and they talk to other people about the plan, but it takes them a long time to get to doing. Okay. Sixes are the next core number and they are both thinking dominant and thinking repressed. And that means they take in information with thinking from the environment, but they don't use productive thinking to make sense of what they've taken in. So what sixes count as thinking is worst case scenario planning. Okay. They think that's, to them, that is thinking, thinking, but that's That's just planning. Yep. That's thinking. And they think things through and they make a plan. Unfortunately, much of that time is spent thinking about and planning for things that don't happen. Mm -hmm. And when they bring up productive thinking, they can stop themselves in that pattern. Okay. Sevens are thinking dominant and feeling repressed. So Mm -hmm. sevens just think and do. You know that. (laughs) You think of something, you go do it. And it's so great. You think something else you could go do, and then you go do that. And it's not that you don't have any feelings, but sevens operate most of the time from a half range of feeling. So Mm -hmm. if a full range of feeling is happy to sad, sevens operate most of the time in the happy half. Right, which is why you tell me to read books like Healing the Dark yeah, Emotions. That's right. That's right. And we're gonna. I'm gonna call you and see you how you can. I can. promise. I promise. I'll read it. 
All right, you send me a book report. I will. (laughs) (laughs) Aides are so passionate. They really struggle when I tell them that they're feeling repressed. Seven struggle too because they have so many good, upbeat, positive feelings. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Aides think and do and do and think and think and do. And they count passion as a full array of feelings. Mm. And it's one but there, there are others, <laughs> lots of others. Yeah. And nines are the last core number, and they're doing dominant and doing repress. They're, sorry, say that again. They're doing dominant? And doing repress. Really? Yep. So nines are always doing something, and sometimes it's what needs to be done. And the rest of the time, nines <laughs> walk into a room and say, you know, somebody ought to handle that. Mm-hmm. Or they see something that needs doing, and they're surprised that nobody's doing it. Right. That's so interesting. They're doing, yeah. That's yeah. that's what happens when you're sitting at the top. No wonder they're so low on energy. Yeah. Hey, friends, just interrupting this conversation with Suzanne to tell you about our friends over at Rothy's. As summer turns to fall, Rothy is here to make your day with sustainable, washable, and comfortable products. Have you heard about this company? I know you have because I love them. They're making stylish, sustainable shoes and bags for life on the go. Carefully crafted with eco-friendly materials like repurposed plastic water bottles and marine plastic. Y'all know I love Rothy's. Jenna and I are always scouting out that website, picking out new Rothy's that we want. Y'all know I'm feeling those camo cats. They are on the way and I am ready to show them to you when they arrive. I love my pink pointy ones that I already have. And I am excited about these camo cats. Rothy's comes in an ever-changing array of colors and prints and patterns. And they're available in a range of styles. And as you know, Vogue calls Rothy's a personal obsession. I get it. And Health Magazine says they're the most comfortable shoes on earth. So who can, who can argue with that, right? They've kept over 50 million single-use plastic bottles out of landfills and transformed them into their signature thread which is then knit into beautifully sustainable products. And you know you can throw them in the washer when they get dirty, which is awesome. Check out all the amazing shoes and bags available right now at rothys.com slash sounds fun. Again, that's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash sounds fun. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorite shoe or bag. Head to rothys.com slash sounds fun today. Today's show is also brought to you by our new friends at Ancestry Health. You can better manage your family's health risks with Ancestry Health. With their most advanced genetic testing technology, next generation sequencing, Ancestry Health is now better at determining if you're at low risk for some commonly inherited conditions linked to breast cancer, colon cancer, and heart disease. Wouldn't it be nice not to worry about that? I'm looking forward to trying it out to learn more about my family history. We've done a lot of the ancestry work, but not the ancestry health work. And I think this is fascinating. Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is the most common genetic heart disease in the U.S. And you're welcome for saying that correctly. I think it's affecting a million people, but it often goes undiagnosed, you guys. And ancestry health can detect up to 80% of the known DNA differences linked to an inherited heart condition that can lead to issues like arrhythmia or heart failure. So you can be more confident in your results, including if you find you are at a lower genetic risk of this condition. Ancestry Health is also FSA, HSA eligible. So you can contact your plan administrator for more information on eligibility and requirements for reimbursement. Find out what your DNA says about your genetic risk with Ancestry Health. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash TSF to get your Ancestry Health Kit today. Again, that's Ancestry.com slash TSF. And now back to the show. And so the 369 being those core types, what does that mean for the rest of us? Does, does that, is there something different about the three of them? They're all, they're all connected, but is there something else that's different about the three of them? Well, um, no, they uh, are the types on which the others depend, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So uh, let's, let's do the feeling triad. Three is the core number, and we're talking about feelings. Twos are the exteriorized version of feelings. Fours are the interiorized version of feelings. Wow. And threes are caught both ways. Yep. 
right? Wow. Same thing happens with sixes in thinking and, and I mean with sixes in fear and with nines in anger. Okay. Man, they really are the core. Yeah. Have you written about that that we can read about? I am right this minute. Okay, good. <laughs> that was not a setup, everyone. I did not know. <laughs> That makes me happy because I tell you, I recommend, obviously, everyone has the road back to you, but I love the path between us. I just think as a person who does love having a lot of friends and being in relationship, it has been so helpful for me. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I, good. I hope this one will be helpful too. We'll, we'll, uh, it, it, it doesn't quite have a title yet. You know how you write and wait yep. for it to come. That's right. Yeah. You let so, it find you. Yeah. Okay, let's go down another path that's one of your truly an area of expertise when it comes to Enneagram. But someone asked if we could get insight into addiction and the Enneagram. Are certain numbers more prone to addiction? How different numbers deal with addiction? And you have done tons of work around this. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about addiction and the Enneagram. Okay, I'd love to do that. So um, traditional Enneagram wisdom is that the numbers that are most prone to addiction are twos and sevens and nines, hmm. all of which I can make a case for. You know, nines merge mm -hmm. with the agendas of other people. So if that involved uh, drinking or using illicit substances uh, or sex or shopping or mm -hmm. eating or all of the myriad of things that we are addicted to, mm -hmm you could understand how that would be said of nines sure. and twos for two reasons, social reasons. Uh, twos are very participatory in relationships because they value them so much, mm -hmm. but twos will also um, show interest in things that they didn't have an interest in before, just in order to build a relationship with somebody that they, admire or oh, sure. want to have a friendship with, right? So you can see how that would happen. Sevens is a different thing because for sevens, for them, it has to do with always upping the ante. Yeah. So <laughs> if two is good, four would surely be better. That's right. It's, it's, right. It's right. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's alcohol or shoes yep. or it doesn't matter. Yep. Having started working in the recovery community about uh, maybe nine years ago using the Enneagram, I would suggest that I think sevens are the number that's most prone to addiction. Hmm. And I think they're standalone in that. Wow. And I think every number is susceptible and to addiction and vulnerable to addiction. Uh -huh. You know, I'm convinced that people who are truly students of the Enneagram, mm -hmm. if they are in a 12-step program and if they have a sponsor who is Enneagram-wise and if they learn the Enneagram so when they're sober, that based on healthy average, unhealthy excess in your number, people can see relapse coming. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I, I, I can in me when I feel glutton coming on. I can see it coming. Yeah. Yeah. And it has to do with excess in your number. And I think we are um, in denial in many ways about our own addictions. You know, those uh, folks who say, man, that's too bad for those people who struggle with addiction. My thought response is, man, it's too bad you don't know yours yet. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right, Suzanne. That is exactly right. Literally, when a second ago, I was going to be like, I haven't ever, I don't have an addiction. And I was like, well, that's not true. I just haven't been to a 12-step program. I yeah. know, I know myself yeah, yeah, in that, not in everything, but I know that there's addiction in me. So, you know, we have uh, four children and they range uh, in age from 32 to 42. And our two boys struggled more. Mm -hmm. than our girls mm -hmm. and uh, our son, Joel, who works full time with us is an yes. alcoholic and he's uh, very open to talking about that. And he's really open to talking with people about that. 
thank goodness, because so many people when I'm teaching at a live event want to talk to somebody about Enneagram and the addiction. Yeah. I mean about the Enneagram and addiction. Yeah. And I, I may do some writing about that later. Uh, I got this book and then another one first, but mm-hmm. I think <laughs> you got a couple uh, in the pipe. You got to get out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think this, I'm a big believer in 12 step work mm-hmm. and I do not believe the Enneagram can help you get sober, but I do believe the Enneagram can help you stay sober. Oh, wow. Okay. And I think 12 steps help you get sober. And Mm -hmm. I'm pretty much a purist. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of programs and I'm sure they're good and I'm sure they're helpful. And my experience and my other experience (laughs) tell me that it's just, uh, you you just got to do some 12 step work. And so my addiction actually is, that I have every propensity uh, for being codependent. Hmm. And I kind of have had this conversation with God about, you know, if being codependent is not a good thing, then why did you give twos every necessary gift for it? <laughs> right. I'd say right? the same thing. If, if having too much of something isn't a good thing, why did you give me a desire yeah. for too much of everything? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so uh, I'll, I would just say that my doing one year of 12-step work around being codependent and then continuing to do work as I need to probably greatly affected my son's lives mm-hmm. for the better. Yeah. Man, that's great of Joel to be open about that. I, he's also a seven, right? Do I, am I remembering yes. that correctly? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I really appreciate that. I appreciate anybody who struggles through something and tells us about it, whether they're on the other side or not. I think that's yeah. really brave. Um, but that brings up a great another question. A lot of people asked us about children and parenting and what kind of resources you recommend to introduce kids to the Enneagram and at what age. What does that look like if you're parenting? Because I know a lot of my friends are working hard not to type their children but are saying, my kid kind of acts like a one, my kid kind of seems like a four, whatever it is. What's what's the use of Enneagram in family life? Okay. I need everybody to remember that I, I really like to be loved. <laughs> oh, we're going to love you no matter what. All right. Well, so, you know, people really, uh, before they got to know my work, really wanted me to do Enneagram parenting. Mm-hmm. And I said, Okay. And then they were really disappointed really? because Enneagram and parenting for me is teaching parents how to be the healthiest, best people they can be so they can be better parents. Sure. And what they wanted and still want is how to type their children and, all, you know, all that. So here's what I would say. My daughter, Joey, is our oldest. Uh, she's been doing Enneagram work. She and Billy, her husband, gosh, since they were 18 Mm -hmm. and they're 42 and they have Enneagram parents, which you can find on Instagram. Okay. And what they're doing, and I'm a supporter of it, is they agree with me about not assigning numbers to children, but they do believe that if parents learn stances, that they can probably figure out what stance their children are Okay, okay. And now remember, stances are determined by which of the three centers is repressed, thinking, feeling, or doing. Yes. And you're either in the aggressive stance, the the dependent stance, or the withdrawing stance. Okay. And that's actually very helpful because when social parents like you or me parent children who are withdrawing, then they try to create a life experience for their children that their children are not suited for. Oh, sure. Um, So um, I think stance work is really valuable, and I think it's a place to start. The other thing I would add is the only time I work with the Enneagram and children is uh, in post-adoption services. Okay. And I do that because I'm an adopted child and because I know 
that it is a real struggle for adopted children to be honest about feelings with their parents, Mm. often about thoughts as well. Actually, Joey did the work of researching animals. And so we didn't try to find an animal that fit an Enneagram number. She researched animals Uh and then knew what number. Oh, that's so sweet. Right? Yeah. So uh, when you use numbers with children, it gives them an opportunity to communicate things they wouldn't communicate otherwise. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you use animals. Animals, sure. Is that what I said? When you use animals, they communicate things they wouldn't otherwise, but they also hold that very loosely. So a kid could say, you know, I used to be like a rabbit, but I'm I'm not anymore. Now I'm more like an eagle. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you want me to run through the animals? Yes, I think people would love that. All right. Uh, ones are worker bees. Okay. Twos are kangaroos. Mm-hmm. Threes are eagles. Fours are butterflies. Oh, wow. Fives are owls. Sixes are bunny rabbits. <laughs> Sevens are monkeys. Yeah, of course. Uh, eights are lions. And nines are turtles. Oh, that's so smart. And so then Billy and Joey just teach out of that. They teach that, but they teach parents how they they use the animals. But they also, in teaching parents, use stances. So they're right. trying to help parents find out whether or not their children belong with 459, uh, 126, or 378. Got it. Okay. And that is proving to be smart and doable. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, holding it very loosely sure. in, in case they're wrong. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And so we can follow them at Enneagram Parents. Yeah. And then I assume they also have a website. Uh, they like have work recorded okay. that you can get from that Instagram site. And you can, I think you can get their work on Life in the Trinity. I'm sure. Yes. On Life in the Trinity Ministry website. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's so helpful. That, that feels like I'm, I'm not a parent, but I have a lot of kids that I'm really good friends with a lot of mini BFFs. And so it it feels really um, wise and cautionary to put a number near a kid, you know, to say that kid's for sure going to be. Whatever, because you don't want to parent out or help raise outside of who they actually are. Right. And so um, I was on a podcast, Ryan Dobson's podcast. Yeah. And they just had a birthday party for their son. And uh, he and his wife were a seven and an eight. I don't know which is which. Uh-huh. They just had a birthday party for their son. I started talking about stances. And Ryan said, oh, my gosh. Well, we blew that. he said our son was having a birthday party and having a birthday and we planned this big party in the cul-de-sac and man we had all kinds of stuff going and all the kids were there and I looked up and he was walking my son was walking in the house oh wow and I went in the house and he was just sitting on the sofa and he was tired he said he was tired Mm. taking a break and Ryan said two aggressive numbers planned a birthday party for a child who's in the dependent stance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Yep. Yep. So then knowing that just gives you learning the stance as well and kind of helping that in your, using that to help you in parenting will keep things from that, like that from happening sure. for 18 years. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And the other way it can happen too, if two withdrawing parents, plan a party for Annie Downs, mm-hmm. it will not be successful. Right. <laughs> right. That's right. That's exactly right. Oh, man. Suzanne, you have done it again. What a home run. That is really most of our questions. I feel like that kind of hit all the... I, I, isn't it nice to think how many people want to talk about health and unhealth, though? I love that. I love that, too. And I, I if you can just think balance. Mm-hmm. Balance, balance, balance. And what you're trying to balance is thinking and feeling and doing. That cake analogy in my head helps so much. Of It's okay that you're naturally, that 
for me, thinking is the biggest one yes. and feeling is the smallest one and doing is in the middle. But the, the older I get and the healthier I get, the more they should stack up like a straight up cake. Absolutely. And then when you get to subtypes, mm-hmm. you also have to balance subtypes. Oh, you should be able to hit all three of your subtypes in my, in like as a seven, I should be able to hit one-to-one. So what, tell me what they are again. Social, well, they're called sexual, social, and self-preserving. That's right. But sexual is really one-to-one relationships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Social is one-to-many. Self-preserving is essentially your relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to have a, a, a good-looking three-layer cake for that too. Okay. <gasps> Did not know that. Let me give you a piece of that, an example of how that might work. People born between 46 and 64 are baby boomers. And our parents were the silent generation Mm -hmm. and the generation before that. And so our our parents uh, wanted us to have everything they didn't have. Mm -hmm. And they didn't share a lot about life being really hard and tricky. And, um, as a reason, and then we came through the sixties where, you know, the pretense was you could have everything. Mm -hmm. And then we came through, uh, the evolution of roles of women in the culture Mm -hmm. where women were told they could have everything. And so, uh, baby boomers as a, as a generation, not every baby boomer, but overall are low in self-preserving. Oh, wow. Which is why now, when they're living longer than any generation before theirs, there are so many places popping up where they can go and live, not in a maybe the home, a home like the one they grew up in, but mm-hmm. in a place where they have a golf course and a swimming pool and tennis courts and people live in these apartments, more like apartments, right? Yeah. yeah. And that is a result. They're everywhere in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Yeah. And that's a result of a generation of people who had a very thin layer of self-preserving cake. Wow. Wow. And so now that they're grown up, they're, they're catching up on that. (laughs) Well, now that they're aging, they're in trouble. Yeah. They're looking at, that's why this is not meant to be political. Mm -hmm. That's why any cut to social security looks very threatening. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they planned on that. Right. Like they and, and I'm talking about them like I'm not one of them. <laughs> and we just live longer and longer and longer. So it's a, it's a generational thing, which is not to say that there aren't lots of people in baby boomer, among baby boomers whose thinnest layer is social or whose thinnest layer is sexual. Mm-hmm. The key is that you got to have some balance in all three. So anytime you're working on from unhealthy to healthy, all the questions that you ask yourself should be about living a balanced life. Okay. That's a great, yeah, balance. That's what we're going for. All right. Is there anything we didn't say, Suzanne, that you want to be sure to say today? You know, I'm going to ask you what you do for fun. That's the last question you always ask. But is there anything we left out that you want to make sure we include today? The only other thing I would say is that I think it's, it's uh, valuable to have this information on board. Mm-hmm. Um, the Enneagram wisdom tradition that I come from says that you have one wing for the first half of life and you yes. add the other wing in the second half of life. Mm-hmm. And I think there are small wings and medium wings and big wings. <laughs> and I think currently wings get more play than they deserve okay based on how much there is in enneagram wisdom to talk about okay but the tests that i also don't believe in you mm-hmm. know that yep. you know i don't believe in tests there are those who believe the accuracy of a test that tells you your number both wings your subtype and right. i don't think so right i just don't think so however Life is very tricky if you're a nine with a big eight wing and if you are a three with a big four wing Mm -hmm. because those two numbers are so different. So different, right. And so I think 
there are people who want to take wings off the table altogether. No, don't do that. There are places where wings are more important, some than others. Pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. And know that wings are the location, one wing is the location of your secondary fears and your secondary desires. Oh, wow. And so you can learn from that. But the work you have to do is on your number. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And wings get to be an excuse for bad behavior. Yep. Or uh, just some new rabbit hole. (laughs) Right, right. That keep you from the potentially transformational journey that the Enneagram has to offer. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I feel it too. A a real uh, conversations happen a lot about wings. Yeah. 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 And I I would challenge everybody who's in those conversations to figure out what the depth level is of the conversation Mm -hmm. and how what you're talking about is going to make you a better person. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) that's good. Or are you just exchanging information to get to know somebody? Yes. Which is fine. Yeah. As long as you know that that's what that is. As long as you know that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay, Suzanne Stabile. So the final question, because our show is called That Sounds Fun, tell me what you do for fun. What have y'all been doing for fun during these pandemic days? Well, I'm, I'm sure you know that the thing I do for fun is spend time with the man that I adore. Yes. I love that human more than I can say. And I, uh, at our ages, I would say that we consider this time to be very challenging, but a gift. Mm. It's just a gift. We both have very big jobs. We were both really doing an awful lot before we were quarantined. And it's been lots of fun to just be with him. Mm -hmm. We also are just delighted with our grandchildren. Yes. Uh, we're blessed in that our four adult children all live in the area. And so we get to be around our grandchildren. Yeah. Um, and they're just delightful. I don't need any of them to be anything. They're not. Yeah. Um, I get to kind of have this relationship with them that is grams and each one of them Mm -hmm. one at a time. And it's just, uh, it's the good side yeah. of all of this. And, and I, think, I think we'll never look back on this time with regret that we spent it pretty much being together. Yeah, I think um, that's right. That sounds really true. Y'all, I love how y'all family so closely to each other. But you're honest and you're real about what it is. But I do love that y'all are so near to each other. And I feel like you're kind of the fairy godmother of Enneagram anyway. So I bet you grandmother perfectly. <laughs> well, I, I don't. I don't babysit. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know that. <laughs> you will not babysit. <laughs> I that love that. The, the perfect grandmother would do that. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I hold them dear and they all light up when they see me. So mm-hmm. as long as I, and that and Joe does too. Yep. So as long as I've got that, I think I'm good. That's right. That's right. Suzanne, you are just one of the dearest. I'm so thankful that to call you friend. Thank you for doing this today and helping us find these answers to our questions. You're so welcome, Annie. I, I admire you and your work. And I know it must sound at the end of podcasts like people are schmoozing, but we're not. We're not. This is our chance <laughs> no, to say that to each not. other. And I'm so right. grateful. That's right. I'm so grateful too. And um, I I hope our paths cross soon. And until then, I I hope people who rest and find themselves in your work, take a moment to remember to be thankful for what it costs you. Because you put an awful lot of value into the world and it's costly to do that. And, um, I'm grateful for it, and I bet everybody else is too, but sometimes people forget to tell you. So I'm telling you how grateful I am. That's sweet. I believe you. Thanks, Suzanne. You bet.
All right, friends. So that technically marks the end of NES Summer 2020. Sad to see it go. I think you are too. We're so grateful for how many of you listened and shared. And we are two summers in a row just blown away by how much y'all enjoy this series. And we've already dreaming, planning, and meeting about 2021. So don't you worry. We are still going forward with this little part of learning we do every year around the Enneagram. Thanks so much to Suzanne Stabile for being on the show today. Make sure you follow her on social media. Tell her thanks for being on the show. And grab a copy of The Road Back to You and The Path Between Us. They go together perfectly and are just absolutely wonderful, wonderful reads. And as she mentioned, for all you moms and dads, Enneagram Parents, that is a great Instagram to go follow and will help you as you are walking that path of parenting kids who are probably an Enneagram type, one of the nine. (laughs) If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That's how you can find me, and I am all ears to what you need. I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out and do something that sounds fun to you, and I will do the same. And we'll see you back here on Thursday. Y'all have a great week.